We're going to be looking at word studies, how to do them, how they can help you understand scriptures, and in particular, we're going to be looking at different different topics and just gleaning some knowledge on it. The first one we're going to take on here is the Greek word for mind, at least one of them, and there are a number of them, and we will spend some time get you familiar with all of them and some of the tools that you can use to help understand that. The... Uh, the word we're going to be looking at here for mind is a very simple word, noas. It's uh, just four letters, which is real nice to kind of works with the English there. English is four letters as well. The reason we picked this, and we're going to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm just going to read this. We're not really going to get into the, the details of it. I don't know that Miss Ethel will be able to pull the, this all up on the on the computer for you, but you can just sit back and listen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Christ, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not of, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor are the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. For we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now here in this last verse is our word we're going to be looking at. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is where we see our word used. But as you look at the entire chapter here, you would certainly get the idea that the Spirit is where we receive the things of God and not the natural man. And it would seem from that that the mind of man would not receive the things of God. But he does conclude this saying that we have the mind of Christ. So we're going to do a little bit of a study on the mind in Scripture on this particular word as well as some others. If you're going to do a word study in the New Testament... And we're just looking at New Testament Greek and looking at Greek references on this. You are going to first off, the first step that you do is to find out what the word is that you want to study in the verse of question and get to know the word. You got to know what that particular definition of that word means. Now there's some different sources for definitions. Probably one of the easiest ones for you to go to is vines. Vines is a good one, and if we can call up our first uh, uh, slide from Vines, instead of going out to the website, we uh, we pulled this in here. And this comes from the website studylight.org. Now, I, didn't, I have not used this site of any regular basis. I didn't really much know about it uh, until I was trying to find a way for you to use Thayer's without having to know Greek. And as I was... Uh, looking for a place to be able to pull out the definition. I got this site and they had both Vines as well as Thayer's. So if you can either have a Vines book and if you have a Vines itself, mine is a very old copy. 
and it looks like this. Any one that you get will not look like that anymore. But we do have ones that we do sell in the bookstores back there that is the same version. I think there are about three different versions of vines. I don't like the other ones. There are certain differences in them. Uh, I think vines is either public domain and the different uh, people can put it together different ways they want to. I like the way that this particular one was put together. And let's see if I can find the... Um, this is Thomas, Thomas Nelson Publishers. But I believe it's the same one that's, that's back over there, which is why we had brought it in years ago. If you look at the... In the vines, and the, the reason the vines is, is so much easier is when you open it up and you look inside, you just have to look up the English word. So you look up mind, and it will give you, and this is one of the few references that you can do, even if you know Greek, this is one of the few references you can do that will do this for you. It will give you all the words that are translated mind. Not necessarily mean mind, but are translated somewhere in Scripture. They are translated at least once or twice mind. Now, every once in a while, he'll put a note in there and saying this word was translated mind once. doesn't really mean it. Go see this particular word for the definition or for, for help on that. But he'll, he'll tell you where to go. Very, uh, very well done. If you want to see the Greek letters, he'll show them to you. If you can't read the Greek letters, you don't need to. But they're there if you want them, which I appreciate. The, but uh, it's, it's all spelled out for you in English. And he also gives you a lot of the reference. I won't say that he's exhaustive in the reference, but he gives you a lot of the important ones. And so he'll put them into the, the part here as he's defining it. Many times when he breaks down a word, as a, or is, there, is my pointer back there? It's in a little box that should be underneath the, the camera. Uh, underneath the camera part where Ethel is. The, yeah, that's, that's underneath that one. That's it. Good, it was still in the same spot. If you uh, take a look at this, and if you're at home and you want to go to studylight.org and see this on your computer, you can. But he will go through here, and you'll notice the, the letter A right there. I'm sure you can't see that if you're on Facebook, but you can take our word for it anyway, it's there. A is the first group of meanings for this, and he'll give the verses that are that at least he considers to be underneath that meaning. And then you'll eventually see a B right there. And sometimes a C. There might even be a D. Uh, they just keep on, on going. And he uh, well, it depends on how many uh, groups he feels that there would be. Now, if you go in the online part, all you got to do is click on that and you go right to that verse. So that's the nice thing about the online version. There's no cost to this. If you go up to, and here's, there's a home, Bible dictionaries, and then Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. I believe you can get there going under Original Language Tools. I think that's how I got there. Uh, but anyway, Bible Dictionary is what you look for, and you're looking for Vines. You can hit over here the letter. So in our case, we would hit the letter M. And for this one, there was a couple of pages. So you, you'll start out at the M-A, and then you work your way on down. And so you have to uh, keep going until you find M-I, and then, of course, N and then D. But it does make it very easy for, uh, for finding these things. And if you don't have a copy of Vines at home, this will work just fine. You don't have to buy anything at all. If you prefer to have a book, uh, it's Thomas Nelson. You can probably get that on uh, Amazon and some other places. But just be careful. There's other ones out there, too. They don't work quite as easy as the Thomas Nelson one does. But again, studylight.org, you can find this. So this is the definition that we have here. And what he what he gives us for a definition is the seat of reflective consciousness comprising the faculties of perception and understanding and those and those feelings I'm sorry, and those of feeling, judging and determining. So the seat of reflective consciousness comprising the faculties of perception and understanding. This is this is where all your understanding sits. When it uses this particular word, and it's talking about mind, it is talking about where all 
of your, your, your reflective consciousness. When you sit back and meditate on something, this is where, this is where you do it in your head. In, in the Vines book here, if we kept on going down, I just took a, a screenshot of this particular page, but if we go on down, we will find that there are five others listed under nouns. And Vines is good this way. He will break it down with noun and then verb and then adjective and probably even adverb if there's, if there is one. So if there are those parts of speech, they will, uh, they will be there. There are times when you will find a word in the noun column and also find it in the verb column, or at least they're very similar. And so it is a derivative of the word. Sometimes it can be used as a noun and sometimes it can be used as a, as a verb. It would be a slightly different word and it would have a different number than, um, than uh, the, the noun verb. The verb would have a different number from the, the noun. And the numbering system they use is the Strong's numbering system. Not all references use a Strong's numbering system. I have a couple of next door. They threw Strong's out. Um, and their numbers don't correspond with Strong's at all. They're slightly off. I'm not sure if they have broken up into more words than Strong's did or however that is. But they go on with their, their own numbering system. Most of those you have to know some Greek in order to uh, be able to use them at all. But here in Vines... No Greek is necessary. You don't need it. Once you, once you um, hit the the letter, you just come on down here and you find the word that you want. You click on that word, and then you will get to that screen that we had there before. And that would be vines. I think I just had two for for vines. Another place that you can go and get some definition, and sometimes the definition is a little bit more detailed. And that would come from Thayer's. The problem with Thayer's is it is com- completely in English except for the words you're looking up. That is in Greek. So the only way, and this is it's extremely tiny writing, but this is, this is what it is. It's, you have to know how to spell in Greek. You have to recognize the letters in order for you to find the word. So there's absolutely no way to use this unless you have a, you don't have to know the Greek language, you have to know the Greek alphabet. That's all you have to do. But otherwise it's going to keep you from using Thayer's, but their definitions are very good. They're sometimes a little more, they're sometimes a little easier to understand than Vines. Not always. Very often though, they will have more detail in Thayer's. Now, uh, Thayer's is, this would still be considered a concise lexicon. A uh, a um, a non-concise lexicon would be. Um, I have one that's over next door. It is so detailed. I seldom use it. It um, how many volumes? I believe it has about eighteen volumes, and most of them are about that thick. Very small writing. And you're looking at many pages per word just to define it. <laughs> and it just gets into such detail. I oftentimes don't go to it because it's just a little bit, you have to go through so much material to try and get a handle on it that I end up finding it's just not worth it. They do make a condensed version of it and that still blows Thayer's away as far as <laughs> volume is concerned. But I think they put it all into, into one volume it's about three times as thick as this. But it is what they consider to be the condensed version. So go up to Thayer's 1. And let's take a look at this. If you go into here, it is... I was thinking you could get in here and use this and just know English. But that's not the case. So um, this is under Bible lexicons, under Greek lexicon. Yeah, Bible and then Greek. There's also Hebrew in there, but you have to know what it starts with and click on these letters to, uh, to find it. Now, most of that, for most people, that would look like scribble. How many were here before when we did an introduction to Greek? I believe it was a 10-week thing, and all it really did was trying to get you to understand the alphabet. And once you understand the alphabet, the alphabet is far simpler than, than English. It's just that you're so used to English, it'll always seem easier. This is the easiest alphabet I have ever come across in languages. 
and I prefer it over English myself. Um, but as they say, you know, it's, it's Greek to me. Go on to our, go on to our second one because you look at it and the letters are, they're just not like ours. Now here is our word. And if you click on that, you'll go up to our third screen. And this is the definition. So you'll see some Greek mixed in with it. Um, there's a, I'm trying to think of the name of this one. I think it is Expositors. I think that's the one that it is. Um, when you're reading the definition of the word, it will be half in English and half in Greek. And if you can't not only recognize the letters, but read the Greek and make sense out of it, you have sentences constantly in two languages. And they, he just bounces back and forth between it. And it's, uh, it can be, it, it's an effort for me to do it. So I can get in there and I can pull the stuff out, but it's an effort. And if you, <laughs> if you don't have any Greek experience at all, uh, I didn't even bring one of those over because there's, there's no sense in it. But here you'll get the, uh, the understanding. Now see, A, B, and C, you're going to have that same breakdown that Vines does. With A being the, the intellectual facility, the understanding, B being reason, and C being the power of considering and judging soberly, calmly, and impartially. They will also break down and put the verses that they feel are under this definition, this definition, and this definition. So they break them down. And again, you can just click on it and, and go. But you'd have to, um, you'd have to be able to read the, the words there. It's really not difficult to learn the Greek alphabet. And I'll show you a few things about it here tonight. Uh, I don't expect to whet your appetite to the point of wanting to read it. But it's just as far as, as using it for these particular things. So Vines is probably the easiest way to go to get a, a definition on this. Thayer's, a little bit more information. Weist is a good one as well. Uh, Weist will have a lot more reading for you because you're going to have to read his whole expository of the verse that you're um, you're going to be looking at the verse and he'll break down each of those words and, and tell you about it. That's a, that's a way that you can go as well. Uh, there are others out there beside these. They, um, I don't think they will be now all that easy for you to do. If you just stuck with vines, you can do all the word study that I'm showing you here tonight with that. If you could get into Thayer's, you'll get a little bit more info without having to get into something that's super uh, heavy on the reading. So anyway, let's take a look at this. As we said, sometimes a noun in Greek has a similar word in the verb. This is not the case with our word here tonight. Now, before we, when we're doing a Greek word study, I want to first off get familiar with the definition of the word that I want to study that's in the verse. In the verse that we were looking at here in 2 Corinthians and in Luke and um, uh, places like that, this is, this, is, this is the word we want to get. But in Greek, you can learn a good bit from the words they did not use as you can for the words they did use. And that's why whenever I'm going through a real thorough word study, in this particular case, there are five other nouns that are translated mind. And so I'm going to take some time to look at each one and get a, a familiarity with them because I want to know why wasn't this word used? Why? What about this one over here? Things along those lines. So let's take a look at this. Here's the first one. And these first two are probably the most common. I've, I'm not sure where Vines does his numbering. Why... Why one is one, one is two, one is three. Um, I sometimes think that the most common used one is up at the top. But just in this case, I found some that, uh, well, this was used once and then the next one was used four or five times. And it doesn't seem to quite hold to that. So I can't say that I know. I'm sure it's not that hard to find out. I just have never done anything for it. So we have an idea anyway with our first one. When I'm studying this out and I pick up, Take this on. I'm going to read that definition in every source that I can number of different times. Just so that I can get so familiar with the word. That's what I want to do. And then I'm going to move on. And this is what I'll, I'll do in vines. I want to look at what are the other words that are used here. So in this one, 
we have dia noia, which is thinking through something with a good or evil end or significance. It is almost the same thing as number one. In fact, Vines will put this in the definition that it's the same thing as number one, except for the fact, and see this is where Vines is really good. He does a lot of comparison with words. And I love the comparison when he gets into them. He'll say the difference with this one is this one will have either a good or an evil end. Either a good or an evil significance. There's an end result with this one, and the end result is stated in the in the um, uh, thought itself. It's either good or it's bad. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You see how it, it slants that towards the direction that this has a negative end? Now, it could have also slanted it to, the, to a, a positive end, but this particular one was negative. Ephesians 4 and 18, having their understanding darkened. You may remember that verse. Well, that's where it uses this word and not the word that we're looking at, noas. Because the, the end result is determined in the, in, in the context of what he's talking about. Having their understanding darkened. Now, there's some good sides of this too. In Matthew 22, and verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, there, there's not a dark side to that. It's a good side. <laughs> They're talking about loving the Lord. And here he talks about, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And he uses the word cardia for that one. That's, uh, that's one without even knowing Greek you're pretty familiar with, aren't you? And with all your soul, that's sushe. And with all your mind. He goes on here in, in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. And I put in their parentheses 10 and 16. They're both saying almost identically the same thing. Just quoting from 8.10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. So we're not only just talking about the center of where all consciousness is and reasoning and so forth. We're talking about we're, that center... And it's going towards a good side or it's going to a bad side. And that's when this word is used. This is what it's, what it's talking about. So if we're not using that word and we're using the word knoweth, then we're not saying ahead of time whether it's good or bad. That's really the only difference between those two words. Now you may say, well, that's not much of a difference. And why do I need to be mindful of that? Because it will help you when you understand as we get into the, the word and where the scriptures are, that there is no, no end result on that. In, um, oh, we have one more scripture. First John 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. Again, a good outcome on this, this one. We have an understanding of Him who is true. Now, the next word that we'll see in Vine's list here, noise. An idea, notion, or intent. In First Peter 4, 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. It's an idea, it's a notion, or it's an intent. It's not the center for which all the reasoning, all the, all the um, uh, thinking about meditating on, it's not, it's not that. It is an idea, a notion, or an intent. Have you ever had an idea come to you all of a sudden? Or uh, maybe you have a you you have bent yourself. I'm going to get into work early tomorrow. All right, I'm not reasoning this out. I'm not concentrating on this, trying to think it through. I'm just I'm stating an intent, but it's still something to do with your mind. I am making mental preparation to go in this particular direction, but it's just simply an idea a notion or an intent. You know, you may say on the, uh, as you're getting ready to come over to the service tonight, you know, I might just want to pick up some dinner on the way. You just kind of had that notion. That's what I'll be talking about here. So therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, 
Talking about the suffering of Christ. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. In other words, have the same intent in yourself. We're not talking about the word for mind in that we're reasoning this out. We're meditating on this. He just says, get this intent. I am going to go into work early tomorrow. I am going to do this when I get home. I have that intent. He's saying, get yourself with this intent. But it's all to do with your mind. It's not something you put down in your spirit. It's something that's in your mind that you've determined in your head. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. An intent would be, I have made a decision in my mind to go in this way, whereas thoughts are things I'm thinking about. Not necessarily intent, I'm just kind of thinking about these things. That word for thoughts is none of our words for, for mind here. <clears throat> so that's the that's the second word. The third one, noema, thought or design. And if you went into the vines, he would give you more. I'm just giving you the shortened version of each of these. Uh, just didn't want to spend too much of our of our time on all that. But it is a thought or a design. Let me see if I can get you a little bit more out of it. Now he did, that's really all the all the definition that he gives you. So if I'd gone back over it and gone in through Thayer's, I probably would have had a little bit more for you. But I wasn't trying to get into all of these because we only had uh, you know so much time here as we're, we're getting through this. But here in Second Corinthians chapter three verse fourteen, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But their minds were blinded. Their thoughts, the things they would think about, they, they can't think in these particular directions. They're blinded. Have you ever run into people and you try and talk to them about things that you know are true and they just can't see it? That's what this word is talking about. Their thoughts, they're, they're blinded. They can't see it. They can't think along those lines. They can't comprehend along those lines. They're, um, it's, it's completely blinded them. They just can't, can't get it. Second Corinthians verse four of chapter four. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Again, we have that concept of blinding in relation to this uh, particular word. Whose minds the God of this world has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Second Corinthians 10.5 Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now somewhere this word is translated mind or otherwise he wouldn't have had this. Uh, we had that in the verse before, I'm sorry. Second Corinthians 11.3 But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Christ. Your minds may be corrupted. The thoughts that are going on in your head, they're corrupted. They've been, they've been contaminated. Philippians 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When he's talking about minds here, he's not talking about no, no us. He's talking about your thoughts. That your thoughts may be guarded. That's what a lot of us need is our thoughts to be guarded. When we get out of the peace of God, problem is that our thoughts have gone in the wrong direction. I put this one in here too, 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. There it's translated devices. The word for thoughts is translated devices. Isn't that interesting? Here's our next one. Nomang, a purpose, judgment, opinion, it is a purpose, a judgment, an opinion. If you have ever developed an opinion on something, a judgment on something, this is where this word would be used. You've heard some, you've heard some things discussed. You've heard some things talked about. 
and you have come to a judgment about them. You've come into an opinion about those particular things. You're no longer thinking. You're no longer in thoughts on this. You have come to a place of judgment and opinion, but it's still in your mind where this is going on. In Revelation 17, verse 13, These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So in other words, these are of one opinion. They are of one purpose. They are of one judgment. And they will give their power and authority to the beast. Now they've done this in an evil way. In Philemon verse 14, But without your consent, mind in the, New King, in the King James Version, But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion. In other words, I want your judgment on this. I want your opinion to be this. I didn't want to do this without your judgment coming along in line with what I wanted to do. So without your mind, as the King James would put it, without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Now this next one. Now, if I believe I left this in there. Do I leave the Greek spelling in there? Now, I wanted you to, to see this because I thought this word demonstrates my difficulty with the English language probably better than anyone. If you were to look at that word spelled out in the English, how many of you would get the pronunciation phronema? Yeah, that's impossible in the Greek. Now, see, if I'm looking at the word in the Greek and I, I put it in the English... And I look at that, I get, a lot of times I get confused trying to pronounce a Greek word looking at it in the English. Because I look at that and I have to try and, and translate it in my head quickly. And I'm not pro, uh, proficient enough to this, do this quickly. Try and look at the English, translate it back into the Greek in order to be able to read it. And uh, so if you look at that in the Greek, I know those letters don't look like too much for you. But that first letter with the line through it, that's where we get our PH sound. That all comes from there. That letter for the P. That's where we get our R sound. And that letter for the O, of course, is an O. That's, uh, that's nice and easy. Greek does have two O's, though. They have an O that looks like an O, and they have an O that looks like a W. The only difference is the W comes when O is at the end of the word. The circle O comes when the, it's in between, anywhere in between, beginning or, or in the middle. But if it's at the end of the word, they use a W. I don't know why. That's just what they do. Now, when you look at that in the, in the Greek, when I look at that in the Greek, I know I cannot pronounce this thing pro. It's prone. It's prone. Because the, the next letter, the, the uh, one looks like an N, and it's translated here in the E in English. It, you don't pronounce it in that way. It's prone, ema. Now, if I look at that in the Greek, I can tell that right off the bat just by looking at it. I don't have to have any kind of extra... Uh, sound things or anything like that around there. But if I look at it in English, I get confused. I can't quite make it out because I, you look at that in English and you're going to be thinking fro. Fro nema. And, uh, that's just not how you can, how you can pronounce it at all. Um, but anyway, did all that just to, just to show you some of the stuff that I go through with the pronunciations on the, on the stuff. I thought that word, uh, demonstrated it pretty well. What one has in mind. Simple definition on this one. What one has in mind. In Romans 8, verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death. The thing I have in my mind is carnality. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The thing I have in my mind is spiritual. Verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So this word will generally be paired up somehow with something to define what your mind is on. Verse 27 of chapter 8. Now he who searches the hearts knows that what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. So these are all the other words that could be used for mind that are used and translated mind somewhere in the New Testament. Now you have a little bit of a feel for that. We'll use that little bit of knowledge we've got as we go through here the rest of it because now we're going to take a look at the, the word that we want to use. 
Luke chapter 24, verse 45, and he opened their understanding, and this is, this is our word here, noas. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. He opened up, let's go on back to our definition, and let's just reread it again. The seat of reflective consciousness comprising the faculties of perception and understanding and those of feeling, judging, and determining. This is the seat where all this happens. And that's what this word is is talking about. Alright, let's go back here. And he opened up the seat where they do all their comprehending. He opened up their understanding that they may comprehend the Scriptures. Now we remember with Peter when he had the revelation about Jesus Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And that revelation came to his spirit. So you'd wonder, if this kind of revelation comes to your spirit, and this is the important thing, why is the mind talked about and of such importance in other areas of Scripture? If we receive the revelation in our spirit. But here it says, He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. He didn't communicate to their spirit. He didn't open up the Holy Spirit to communicate to their spirit. He opened up their understanding. He opened up something in their mind so that they could comprehend what was going on here. Very often, the thing that keeps us from understanding something in Scripture is that there is some kind of a veil. There is some kind of a covering. There is something that has blocked us from being able to see it. And that has to come off. And so as they are walking and as they are talking, he opened up their understanding. Now they were seeking after this knowledge. It won't come to you if you're not seeking after it. But let's go on and take a look at some of those scriptures here. Romans chapter 1 verse 28. I'm just really going to read over some of these. There's about five of them that we're going to get into in, in more depth. But let's just read over these. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. A debased mind. So the seat of where all their comprehension came from, it was a debased one. Now remember, this word is not used with an end result already in mind. That's why you use this one, because the end result is, is not there. Which means their end result wasn't locked in. They could have gone another direction, but they didn't. You see how it can sometimes help to have an understanding of the other words? If he was talking about a direction that was already established for them, he would have used the other word, the second word that we had in our list. Instead, he uses this one, noos, which means it's open-ended. We're talking about the seat of your understanding, the, the seat of, of where all your comprehension comes from. You can go either way on it. But in this particular situation... And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. So they're going, and God is trying to pull them in a good direction, but they're resisting God, and they want to go in this direction, because you see, it's, it's not an established end. We, we're, God's trying to pull them in a good direction, they're trying to, to go away from God and go in a bad direction, and finally God just says, I'll let it go. Go the direction that you that you want. And he gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which were not fitting. There was nothing in there that was locked in. They made their own choice in this. In Romans chapter 7, verse 23, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So again here, we're not using the second word. We're using the first word. Which means, the end result is open. So I see. he says, I see something else working in my members. I'm trying to go this direction. It's trying to take me in this direction. And there's a battle that's going on. And that's why Noas is used. In verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now he's talking about his own self going in two different directions. My mind has gone in the, this good direction away from my flesh, my flesh is going in the 
in the bad direction. Romans 11.34 For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become His counselor? In Romans 12.2 And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now can you see that, that thought? You've read over this verse a whole lot of times. But that word mind is giving you the open end as to which direction you can go. He says, renew your mind. Obviously, if you don't renew your mind, you're going to go in a, in a negative direction. If you do renew your mind, you'll go in a more positive direction. But it's up to you which way that you go. In 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Romans 14, verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. See, it's opened again. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there are no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now before we use a different verse over in Revelation, talking about how they were all of the same opinion. But here he doesn't use that, that word. He's not using a word that says you are locked in on the same direction. He says you be perfectly joined together in the same mind. You can go any way that you want. But you choose to go in a direction that is together. Instead of the word that is used in Revelation of one who is locked in to go in a, a certain way. There was, there was pressure on those people to go in. We, we know from the whole context of Revelation there was pressure for them to go a certain way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now we read that in the beginning here. But that's uh, we, two times when our, our word is used. Now how many people have a quick verse 4 and use that as a study? Anybody still have that? Uh, I still have it, but if you don't have a 16-bit computer, it won't work for you. <laughs> so I've still been stringing along a 16-bit computer to... To, um, I think it's 16. Was it the, the new one's 64? Mine's probably 32, so it's probably a 32-bit computer. I string it along and keep it going just because I want that particular program. But when I did a search for this, this word, there was a verse that came up. And so I broke out all my Greek stuff to find out why this verse came up because it's not mine. There's, there's nowhere in the, in the verse that mind is used. It's not there. And so I broke out all the big guns that I had and none of them have this particular word in there. And I was I brought this over just to show it to you in case that you ever want to see it. But um, this is one of the volumes I have that is the uh, English over here and that is the Greek text in here. Now I have a number of different places where I have actual Greek text but this is the actual way it was written. We're not just talking about here's the word. We're actually It's actually parsed out and whatever kind of ending and prefix, it's all all right in there. So I just read the verse, and it's not in there. So quick verse made a mistake. <laughs> they have this verse coming up with the word noas, but noas is not there. It's nowhere in there. It is in the quick verse text. <laughs> it's right there. And they translate it, and they have it connected to a particular word on the English side that has absolutely nothing to do with mind. It's actually a word for a thousand. It's translated a thousand. And I'm thinking, how in the world can you get that out of this? And so I, I probably lost 20 minutes <laughs> trying to figure that out and just determine that the, the program is wrong. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, For if I pray in, the tongue, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. The seat of where all my comprehension comes from. That's unfruitful. But what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Three times that word is used here. And that's particular these uh, particular verses, that's our word that is used. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 19. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And that is not the word, the verse where a thousand was used. Second Corinthians 7, 7. 
and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in, in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal, and here the word is translated zeal in the New King James. In the King James, they translate it fervent mind. Now the word zeal here in the New King James is a taking two Greek words and combining them into one. The King James took one word and translated it fervent and took the other word and translated it mind. But the New King James combined them and gave it zeal. Now, fervent mind and zeal, is there any difference? I don't know of any. I, that's, that's just something that they did. And I don't think there's any problem with it. I don't want to try and say that you know, one version is better than the other. I think it's... I get the understanding either way. Fervent mind, zeal, I can get that. But that's uh, another place where this word is used, but it may not jump out at you in the New King James. Ephesians 4, verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. The futility of their mind. They have been walking in a way, it was their choice, their mind they allowed to go in a futile way and soon they began to walk in the same way that their mind was going. He says, now you all ought not to do that. You ought to walk in a different direction. In Ephesians 4, verse 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Colossians 2, 18, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So don't be so soon shaken in mind. You have a choice here. You've heard something, something has come to you. A word, a letter. Something has come to you in the spirit. He says, but don't let yourself be troubled by it. In other words, when that report came, when that letter came, when that uh, person said what they said about Paul, when they said that, you had the choice for your mind to go in a direction and you chose to let it go in a bad direction. He says, don't let that happen. I'm t- and he goes on, of course, and tell them uh, that the day of Christ cannot happen until uh, the great catching away happens first. It's translated in something, the great falling away. That's not what it is. And we've uh, spent time on that before in the end times class and so forth. And won't spend a whole lot of time on that right now. But he says, and don't be so soon shaken in mind or troubled. Very often, we can let our mind be shaken or troubled because of things that we hear. Because of things that we see. Something comes to us. He's using this word to show you, you have an open end as to which way you're going to go. Now, what are you going to think on? What are you going to concentrate on? What are you going to reason out in order to uh, come to the conclusion that you do? In 1 Timothy 6.5, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds. They've corrupted them. In 2 Timothy 3.8, now as Johnese and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds. Titus 1.15, we're going to get into more of this later on. To the pure all things are pure, but to... Those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. Revelation thirteen eighteen. Here is wisdom. Let him who, un- who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. So here talking about that mind, you have the ability to, to reason this out, calculate this out using your mind. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. So that's our, our list of those. I just wanted to print them all out for you because one of the things I will do whenever I'm doing a, a word study is I will take all of the words, all the verses that have that word, and I will just print them out somewhere and just meditate on them. Just go over them, over and over. And I'll do like I did for you and highlight the word that I'm studying and make it bold. So every time I go through, I don't have to think which word is it in this. It's, it just jumps right out of me. And so I just go over the list over and over and over and over. And sometimes I go back to the definition 
and read over the definition again and then go over and over and over to just understand that word in the context of each of these verses. And let these verses bring light to me about this as well. And then let the word and its definition bring light to each of these verses. Now, in particular, after we do that, I'll begin to study each verse with this meaning. And so instead of just reading it over, now I'm going to take a couple of the verses and I'm just going to uh, we're just going to focus on that. So in Luke 24, 45, He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. This is not with a particular end result, good or bad. So understand, when your understanding has been opened for you to comprehend the Scriptures, He has not given you a predetermined end result of what you're going to come to as a conclusion. Do you ever wonder how bad doctrine can come out? Because when God gives you Revelation, when He gives you understanding, He doesn't give you a predetermined conclusion that you're going to come to. He wants you to meditate on it and hear from the Spirit of God where we are to go. But some people don't do that. They hear from a wrong spirit and they go in a wrong direction with those things. And Paul warned about people who did this in the New Testament and we see through history other times that that has has gone on. But... He does not, I just went through here and made a list on, on my outline and went through all the other words. It's not with a particular end result, good or bad, such as dianoia. It's not ideas or notions or intent like ennoia. It's not in thought or design like noema. It's not a purpose, judgment, or opinion. It's not what one has in mind, spiritually minded, carnally minded, such things like that. But as in the seat of reflective consciousness comprising the faculties of perception and understanding and those of feeling, judging, and determining. So I'm going to keep that definition close by. And every time I read over this thing, I'm reading over the definition. This is the seat of reflective consciousness comprising the faculties of perception and understanding and those of feeling, judging, and determining. All these things he opened up their understanding to. That means that God, in the same way, can do for me. He can open up my reflective consciousness, the the uh, the faculties of perception, understanding, those of feeling. I don't feel like that. He opens up those of feeling, judging, and determining. When it says He opens up their understanding, He opens up all of that for us. And just like throwing a switch, which he did with these guys on the road, just like throwing a switch, all of a sudden, I understand things. Not just revealed to me in my spirit. You see, when something is revealed in my spirit, I don't necessarily understand it. I have to get the understanding in order not to lose it. Parable of the sower. I've got to get the understanding. Once I get the understanding, I won't, I won't lose it. But I've got to get that understanding. And so right here he says, and he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. If he, Jesus, opened up their understanding for the scriptures, would he not open up my understanding? Romans 12 and verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. That means the seed of my reflective consciousness can be renewed. My faculties of perception can be renewed to a much higher higher place. And even if, I'm not saying that I'm walking in darkness, but even where I am right now, my understanding can be opened up even more. And then when I get down the road with that understanding, it can be opened up even more. And then, even more. I can keep walking in more and more of this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, I want to... The way I fight conformity to this world is not with a list of do's and don'ts. It's not with 
uh, all my things. I, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm not going to do that. No. It's simply by tr- being transformed, which happens when I renew my mind. The power that is there when we have our mind renewed. This is why the Word of God spends as much time as it does on the mind, even though we're reborn in spirit. And revelation comes to us in spirit. There's a transformation that only comes when we get our mind renewed on the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of Christians. They have been reborn. They are born again, but their mind is anywhere, nowhere near where it should be. They are swept away with this doctrine. They are swept away with that doctrine. They are moved by this and moved by that. And they're on a set direction today, but tomorrow they're in another direction because their mind has not been renewed. Sure, they're born again. But God wants you to have more. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 through 15, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. My understanding is unfruitful. You see, you can do things that build up your spirit, but don't build up your understanding. Now, in the end result here, we know that what he talks about is do the things that build up your spirit. Also do the things that build up your understanding. They're different things. But he says do them. You you need to do both. He doesn't say don't pray in tongues. He just says in the church, I'd rather speak five words of uh, understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue because then people would understand it and there would be benefit from it. For if I pray in the in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. We need to do some things that work in the area of understanding and some things that work in the area of spirit. But we need both. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Well, this is where they're walking, in the futility of their mind. Don't walk that way. Their mind, they have not disciplined themselves to renew that mind on the things of God. If I don't renew my mind on the things of God, I will walk the way the Gentiles are walking. Now look at some of the things that he says in the Word of God to help us with the renewing of our mind. What kind of things are we supposed to think on? Good things. What kind of things are we think are supposed to think about other people? Good things. Believe the best. What kind of things are we supposed to worry about? Nothing. Nothing. What kind of things are we supposed to be anxious about? Nothing. Nothing. You see, all these things corrupt our noos. And if we corrupt that, we will corrupt the way that we are walking. And that's why he gives such warnings about this. Be anxious for nothing. We're not supposed to be worried. We're not supposed to be fearful. This is why, because if we corrupt that thinking, we corrupt our walk. It is impossible for you to harbor anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, offenses, anxieties, worries, fears, harsh language, harsh feelings towards others. It's impossible to keep all that in and be going in the right direction spiritually. Impossible. You cannot do it. So he gives us that extra exhortation. Now look at this. You look at this particular verse and you can just get launched into word studies all over the place and I'll leave that for you to do if you want to do it. In Titus chapter 1 verse 15, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. Now, if you were going to pull out a word out of this verse to study, what word would it be? It would be the word pure, right? It's repeated three times. So I did just that for you. I pulled up the word pure. And this particular word for pure is the Greek word katharis. Did I put that in your outline for you? I had to delete all that, huh? It's the Greek word katharis. K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S if you want to spell it out. Now, the word for pure, if you look it up in the vines, there's only two words there. Catharsis is one. The other one is hagnos. H-A-G-N-O-S. Now, 
Wait till you hear these definitions. Hagnus, the word that is not used in this particular verse, means pure from defilement, uncontaminated. Pure from defilement, uncontaminated. That's what that word is being used. That is not the word he chose to use. And he chose the word three times. Three times he made a deliberate effort to not choose the word that says pure from defilement, uncontaminated. He uses this word, katharos, pure as in having been cleansed. You see, if he used the word Hagnus, it would have disqualified all of us. But he uses the word that is pure as in being cleansed. We're not done with this worship. Let's read it again. To the pure, to those who have been cleansed, all things have been cleansed. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is uncleansed. Not uncontaminated. If you were ever going to pull that word out for uncontaminated, wouldn't that have been a good spot to have used it? He doesn't use it there. He says, to the pure, to those who have been cleansed, or put it this way, to those who have been forgiven, all things are cleansed. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is cleansed. There's a problem with everything. If you look at people and constantly see everyone as having problems, everyone has issues, and only you are pure. That's not a good place to be. You see, because you wouldn't be the pure that he's talking about here. Now, if you looked at this word, this word, this verse, and you're doing word studies, what would be the next word that you would want to study? See if it comes up with the same one I did. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. Defiled. Are you ready for defiled? Defiled comes from the Greek word meaning to stain or dye with another color, to contaminate, to pollute, soil, or defile. Or defile. So, now look at these. Look at this together when you study these words out. To the pure, not one who is not un- not contaminated, but one who is cleansed. All things are not ever contaminated but simply cleansed. But to those who are contaminated and unbelieving, nothing is cleansed. But even their mind and their conscience are contaminated. Now, does that open up that verse just a little bit for you? You can unlock a whole lot of things with a word study. And it's not because the English language is so inept or that translators do such a terrible job. We're just, we're talking about different languages. And they, and our language has certain ways of doing things and other languages have other ways of doing things. But this language is the one that our New Testament was written in. There are some things that are so easily unlocked. You don't need to know the Greek language at all to do it. You could have done everything we did right here with the one source of vines. You didn't need to get in all the the Greek letters. I mean, you can do that and, and, and help and you can probably get a little bit further in it. But oh, so much... So much can be gleaned just from that. To the pure, all things are pure. 
See, if I want to find out if I'm pure, how do I look at things? Do I see everything as defiled? Or do I see things as pure? If I want to get my mind to the place that God wants it to be, my evidence is simply going to be this. Can I look at other people? Can I look at other things and not see everything as contaminated? Can I see what was once contaminated but cleansed? Can I see it as cleansed? Can I see it now as pure? Can I see it as made differently? Or do I still look at that one and say, no, no, I just see the sinner. I just see the faults. I just see the shortcomings. Let me read that one more time. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled, contaminated, and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Well, Father, I thank you that you are interested in our mind being renewed, not just our spirit being reborn. There's a process we go through. You've outlined it in your word how we can take the seat of our consciousness, of our reasoning. How we can take all the reflective consciousness that we have, our perceptions, our understanding, our feelings, our judgments, and our determinations. We can take the seat of all those things and renew it on your word. And you will make us uncontaminated, pure. We once were contaminated, but you have made us uncontaminated. And when we look out into the world, we can see the pure. I'm not saying that we see all things as pure. We see things as you would see them. But we can look upon those vessels of yours that you have cleansed and we can see them as cleansed. And I thank you, Father, that our mind will not have to be in a defiled state, but a reborn, renewed state. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.